Welcome to the Give Us Time podcast, the podcast that highlights the extraordinary members of our armed forces and their families. This episode is a PTSD Awareness Month special. During this episode, we will be discussing PTSD with our ambassador and host, Scotty Derrick. So, Scotty, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome, Alex. Um, for those of you who don't know what PTSD is, so PTSD stands for Post Traumatic Stress Disorder, and it has been around for thousands of years. Um, during uh, and after World War One, it was referred to as shell shock. Um, during and after the Vietnam War, it was referred to as combat stress. And then around the 1980s, it was then commonly then referred to as post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, um, which is the term we most commonly use today. So, Scotty, do you mind just telling our listeners what is PTSD? Sure. Uh PTSD, as you said there, Alex, post-traumatic stress um, disorder, it's, it, it is and it can be a living hell. It is reliving past experiences. It is dealing with reliving past experiences. Mm. Hypervigilance. Your emotional regulation is through the roof. Mm. Hot and cold, sweats, yeah. um, fear, um, sadness massive depression and the list can go on and on and on and it's just it's just one of these things now that you don't understand at the time what it is that you're feeling because and then once you start then opening up and talking which takes a long time you then discover that there is something going on in the background and that's when you go and try and seek some medical help as such but for me it's uh, it has been a living hell um mm. and it's something that we've just manage to maybe get a handle on a little bit and start to manage it a little bit better yeah yeah so i mean there's three types of ptsd defined to by uh, mind we have delayed onset ptsd which is if your symptoms emerge more than six months after experiencing trauma um this might be described as delayed ptsd we have birth trauma, which is PTSD that develops after a traumatic experience of childbirth. Um, and then we have a finally complex PTSD, which is what you were diagnosed with, Scotty, wasn't it? That's right. Um, when were you diagnosed with complex PTSD? Complex PTSD was after the first, sorry, the second time I seen Professor Paul Miller, and that was in 2018. But previous mm. to that, 2013 was the first diagnosis of post-traumatic stress and major mm. depressive disorder, and that was in 2013. Yeah. When did the trauma take place then? Was it because it was during your time with the military? So that would have been 1998? 1996. Oh, so close. <laughs> 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 That's good. Absolutely. <laughs> It's, um, yeah, 1996, I was involved in an instance uh, in Northern Ireland, um, one that I'm not going to talk about. Um, of course. But it's, uh, yeah, it's just something that, it just it's just stuck with me to this day. Um, and it's just something that it plays havoc on and on and on. As I said, from 1996, before I even asked for help in 2013, I just kind of managed the symptoms myself. Mm. You know, I've spoke about it before on um, the earlier podcasts, uh, myself uh, and you have chatted about it openly, about alcohol misuse, lots of alcohol. 
I know recently that Prince Harry's just said that during his time of his depression, he was drinking uh, a week's worth of units in a day. Mm. I was drinking a bottle of half a vodka a day, eight, nine tins of beer, then going yeah. on to cocaine so I then could function in the morning and ended up with heroin, all because I didn't have the confidence or the strength to reach out and ask for help. Um, but going back then, 97, 98, 99, asking for help, I don't think I would have got the right help um, needed. I probably have been a sharp swift of the pen and booted out for various reasons so that the military wouldn't have to deal with it. But now it seems to be a lot, lot better. But yeah, that, that's that's the sort of path I went down in um, previous uh, suicide attempts. Mm. Um, luckily enough, they weren't <laughs> successful or uh, you're speaking to a ghost now. Um, so yeah, you can laugh about them now, but it's uh, yes, yeah, it, it has been scary for uh, Joanne and I. It's been a long path, but it's something that now, as I say, with the help of um, Professor Miller, we're starting to we're starting to manage it a lot, lot better. Yeah. So prior to 1996, what was your view on PTSD? I never even heard of PTSD before. I, I kind of joined. Well, saying that when I joined the army in '95, it was um, it was kicking around a little bit. You hear these rumblings, but I thought there's nothing. And all the old and bold were saying, oh, "What a load of nonsense that is!" And 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 we kind of got into the same mindset, really. Um, but but that's the way it was. You know, I was just I was a work hard, play hard um, military, and everybody was was in it together. So. You, we never really looked at it as anything was wrong. We just thought everybody might get something at some stage, but we didn't know what it was. Yeah, yeah. Because it wasn't talked about. Which is obviously um, a big thing. I think even still now with men's mental health is um, coming forward and obviously speaking about it. It's sure. still, there's still um, a lot of stigma around it. So you had experienced this trauma in 1996. Yeah. And you spoke about how you were having to cope with it. So you had lived with PTSD for almost 15 years before you were diagnosed. Dealing with it on your own then, that yes. must have been very, very hard. Very hard. Very hard. And again, too, I was married to Joanne in 2005. And again, she wasn't really aware of some of the stuff. And I didn't really tell her a lot of things of how I coped in the past because one you don't want to let her worry about things that have already previously happened mm. um, she kind of clocked on that things were wrong because most nights we were having some beer or at weekends I was really kicking the backside out of it um, mm. and you know it's that's the way it was and in 2013 was the, the tipping point the tipping point where I just broke down the house and spoke to Joanne and there's another friend of mine, Nick Steele, who, who worked for BFBS at the time, and he actually gave me the number for combat stress. So we went to my own GP, Dr. Bankhead, and um, then we got referred then to combat stress, and that's where the, the sort of journey took place. What was it like then, finally being diagnosed with PTSD? I hated it. Oh, really? I hated it. Because it means, it means that there was something wrong with you. Yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of people say, oh, yeah, it's grateful. Yeah, find the ads. 
nobody wants to be labelled as anything. Mm. And I think that's one of the things why um, I think we're going to chat about later on with the word disorder. But it's, nobody wants to be labelled that they've got something wrong with you. Um, yeah. And that was a hard thing to swallow. Um, and having the ability then to talk about it more and more that we talk about it, it becomes a bit more normalised in a way. Hmm. Was it not? I don't know. Was it not nice to finally be able to put a label on it after fifteen years? I kind of, I kind of knew there was something in, in the background, you know. But again, we were just kind of told it's just the way it is. But then when you start reading into things, you think, oh, I can't be, can't, I can't be having that. Mm. Like poorly strong lad like myself, I can't mm. be me. Bodyguard at the time, then ah, it won't be me. <laughs> You know, because we're always taught things like that were a weakness back in the day. Mm. And if you had an issue, you had to deal with it yourself. Um, so I, to be told or have that sort of label that was like, right, okay, yep, okay, that explains a few things, but I just didn't like that, you know, being sort of labelled as, oh, PTSD or he's got that. That was the sort of thing. He's got that. It feels like you've done something wrong or um, that. that's the way I looked at it. Mm. Um, and that took a long, a long time to shift. Um, so, and then once we started talking about it a bit more and stuff, it started to become a bit, bit easier. So yeah, how, how long was it until the stigma in your mind went away then? I don't think the stigma has ever gone away. It's slightly gone a little bit easier because sometimes if you're in a group, it's just one thing that you don't want to drop in. Mm. Well, how's things with you? Or oh, your husband doesn't work? No, he's... He's uh, medically retired. <laughs> What's wrong with him? Mm. Oh, he's got a mental illness. Run! Run away. You know, it's just, there is still a thing there too. It can change the, the conversation slightly. But again, if you're in the right audience and stuff, with people that are want to learn and people that are, want to listen, I think that's a big difference. You, I don't walk around telling everybody I don't have a t-shirt on saying, look, I've got this. You know, and it's just something that you don't drop in willy-nilly. Um, once you feel open and comfortable to then talk to someone. I think the first time I, I publicly spoke was at the, the Give Us Time um, fundraising event in the Corinthia. That was uh, after a holiday Joanne and I had been on and the Invictus Games. Uh, I think I'd just done one Invictus Games and that was the first time I stood up on a stage and I talked publicly about my um, issues and how Give Us Time has massively helped Joanne and I reconnect and plan for a better future. Oh, wow. I mean, you wouldn't know that at all. I Honestly, I've seen that speech countless times and you would not know that is your first time to speaking about it. It is. Yeah, that, that's amazing. That's amazing. I just, um, I just kind of seen the bigger picture, uh, really, but an opportunity to, one, repay, in a way, the thanks that the general public has has offered Joanne and I the chance to to get away on a on, on a, a lovely holiday. Yeah. And the fact is, I thought I could maybe reach out to others who are sitting in silence to see that if I could do it, mm. um, others may be able to to pick up the phone and maybe ask for help and. Again, just to highlight the fact that it is, 
you know, it is out there and it's just something that we've just got to then start talking about it. And that's when, mm. you know, things started to move on. And I think we are starting to talk about it a hell of a lot more, which is, which is brilliant. Yeah, definitely. hundred percent. So let's go and move on to 22, 2013, you were given the diagnosis. How long after that then did you start to get involved with the Invictus Games and what kind of role did exercise play in helping you cope with the, with your PTSD? In 2013, I went on the intensive treatment programme with Combat Stress, which was, um, back then, I don't know if the programme's changed, it was like a one-shoe-fits-all um, sort of, you've got six weeks to try and make you magically better. And then if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But it certainly didn't for me because you get there and you just get thrown a lot of medication and then it just puts you out of sync and you're talking and trying to do things. And for me, it just didn't work. It just didn't mm. work. And then when you're there, I just found out a little bit more. and I didn't know much about um, Health of Heroes. And I think you got to 2014. And the first Invictus Games, the inaugural games, was taking place in London. And the first phone call, I picked up the phone and I phoned uh, Health of Heroes Sports Recovery. And the first lady who I spoke to was has been a guest on our podcast, Anna Bodge, or Anna Shaw, uh, prior to her um, wedding. And I spoke to Anna and she was saying, listen, you're doing right, you're doing great. But I just didn't feel I was maybe ready to step from that onto such a public stage. I didn't think mm. I was ready to maybe push in mm. a way. And then... That was, I've seen, first seen Invictus Games and then I've seen the guys of, obviously His Royal Highness, I've seen uh, JJ Chalmers, um, Vice, David Wiseman, um, Josh, Bodge, all the guys and massively inspirational. Most of the guys had been very, very badly injured and you could see that the power of sport was playing again, I didn't want to really put my hand up because I thought, well, looking from outside, there's nothing wrong with me. Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't want people to go, oh, what's, what's this guy? And I might just ask too many questions and it was too soon. So then that passed when it was a great success and that was the start of the springboard for then the great success of the Invictus Games has had. And then again with Anna, um, who was in the sports recovery for me up in 2018, um, 15 and asked me if I wanted to go to Las Vegas to the US Air Force trials. Now, being a recovering addict, <laughs> that was a challenge in its own. Going to Vegas, oh boy. But that's the first time I've seen that the power of sport could really play a massive impact in being part of a team. But not just being a part of a, an able bodied team, it's part of being a team that's everybody's been through something. And we're all pulling together in the same direction. And that's what really took effect on me. I like that. And then I found out that my old athletic skills used to kick in and the shot put and discus. I managed to win gold out there um, against some really good opposition. And the coaching staff out there in America was just fantastic. And then after that, I got selected for the Warrior Games to go back out to Washington, D.C. and represent 50 strong um, British armed forces against all the US military, um, different branches, and a team of Australians. 
And that was another stepping stone to being more subjected a little bit to more media, more specialised training. And then it came to 2016, was Orlando, the second games. And I was very, very fortunate to be selected um, for the team. And at that stage, I competed in six events, which was stupid because <laughs> from my, yeah, my mother, uh, late mother now, she was very ill at the time. And she says, try out for every, every event. So I did. And I got selected for six. So I was quite, in a way, I was, I was, I was quite happy to do that. But being out there in that heat and the timetable and the schedule was very tight. I didn't really have a lot of focus as such on a particular strength, I suppose. What was to say? What were the six? Shot put, discus, archery, rowing. I see your face there with archery there, Alex. Hey, that's... Uh, rowing, powerlifting, and I even did the 100-metre sprint. No way. I did. No, well, for those of you who don't know Scotty, <laughs> he is a he, he is a power lifter and he has the physique of a power lifter. He is not he's not the most agile person you could see because he is about eighty percent muscle. <laughs> well, that's very kind, Alex. I didn't know where you were going with that. No 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 no. Yeah, so I was out there then I was about eighteen stone, I would say. An 18 stone 100 meter runner, <laughs> and but I still did it in 15 seconds. Eh? Eh? Oh, you shut me up. 15 seconds I did it in, and I remember then when I finished the line, uh, finished crossing the line, I went behind the stadium and my breakfast just came up. <laughs> yeah. um, but I think the winning time was 11 seconds dead or something. I mean, trying to cut off four seconds is nigh impossible, but fair play. Couldn't have done it if I cut off a leg. Uh, to lose weight <laughs> that way, but it was oh, phenomenal. Um, yeah, so I took part in all that. I just missed out on the, the archery final um, by eight points. Well, I was going to go and say, I wanted to hear more about this archery. I've never, you've, you've never spoken about archery. We've been known each other two, two, three years now. I know, Alex. It's just been a whirlwind, to be honest. Please, then, please tell me more about the archery and how, because that sounds like cracking fun. Friend of mine, again, who lives here and another Victor Schemes athlete and coach, Chris Mack, he's got a an archery centre. Again, <laughs> too, archery thinking, using that, you know, old manly thing, archery. <laughs> I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Having the ability to stand there on the line and put the arrow on your bow and you've got to focus mm. focus on your breathing focus on your aiming it's just like we're a rifle it's just the the same part that you're aiming and then you adjust the sight and the scope to to suit i loved it that sounds again, so much fun and again too we haven't chris who is world class um he won gold and, and stuff and all his family are heavily involved with the archery centre and his son was British champion, world champion and having that level of coaches helping you was just great. Oh wow. Yeah, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed That's a dream. That. Yeah and it's and then it's something I haven't done for a wee while so I might just give Chris a wee call actually and just um, maybe jack up a wee memory lane and go up and have a little, have a little <laughs> play but thoroughly enjoyable, thoroughly enjoyable. 
Um, it sounds it. Sorry, I got I went a bit off track there because I need I needed to hear about the archery. But we'll go back to. <laughs> well, I, I needed to say. Warrior Games. You're smashing it. I know you've done six. You've gone six events. Mm-hmm. You, you smashed most of it. We'll say we'll be we'll, we'll be relatively nice. <laughs> smashed it. The hunt. The, did the rowing, which was four um, four minutes as far as you could go. And then after that, you have to do the one minute as hard and fast as you can go. Well, and how many meters you can cover over that period? Four oh, that minutes guy. and one minute. I think I rode um, for the one minute was 370 meters, something like that. And then just over the thousand meters for the four minutes. But. <sighs> unbelievable i've never been on a rowing machine since i completely agree with you rowing is the so hard it's just it's, so hard it's just it doesn't matter which level of fitness you are you get on there and you will <sighs> get beasted oh it's just the hardest it just requires everything <laughs> I, i'm not a fan of rowing i i haven't i haven't been on a rowing machine in ages <laughs> The guy I, I train with uh, now, Stephen, he's uh, he's an advocate of rowing, but he's built, he's, a, he's a racing snake. He loves the damn thing. Um, I've always hit him one of these days where he's not in the garage. I'm going to take it out and set it on fire. Um, he thinks I'm joking. Picked the six events. Your mum told you to go for the mole. Yeah. You you knackered yourself. I'm assuming you you, you took you took you took too much. Smashed. Smashed it to to be honest. Absolutely. Tough. I um, I was absolutely knackered. Yeah, yeah. Knackered. But what did that do for you, though? Because that must have been also quite nice at the same time from achieving that much and doing all that. Yeah, it, it did. It just again, it highlighted the ability of what sport can play on your form of recovery, or what um, sport you can use it as an alternative therapy. Mm. Um, I want you to continue to do it to this day and I think sport does play a massive part and even being part of a team it's it's phenomenal and, yeah, and, I, and I really do enjoy it. So how many, I know how many Invictus games you've done, do you want to tell the listeners how many Invictus games you've done? I've done and two why... Invictus games and I've been very very fortunate and very very um, humbled uh, to be asked to compete in two Invictus Games, mm. 2016 Orlando and 2017 in Toronto. And did you then, why did you not compete further? I know you've told me this before. Was it just that you didn't want to do it anymore or, or was the competition getting a, a, a lot bigger? Because, I mean, I've, we've spoken previously to people in the podcast and they just dedicate their life to it. Like... Yeah. To becoming an Invictus athlete, it just becomes everything. Like it nearly does come a full time job because it mm. it start, Excuse me, it starts to become very very professional. Mm. Very professional, where your training logs have to be submitted. You actually get a training schedule, your diets and stuff. Everything is very very very. And it's good that the way that the, the team structured it and we got, you know, your kit has to be the same, but it's everybody during the day. Everybody had to sing off the same hymn sheet. 
So that side of life was very, oh, you know, this has taken a step up. 2017 was a very, very, um, very, very kind of different swing for me. It was very, very driven by media appearance as such. So it was very, very pushed that way. Uh, very good, very good. Um, but I, I noticed it was more of um, sport was a job um, and sport was full time. And I understand there's a lot of guys and girls that still continue to achieve and compete, which is brilliant. But for me, I thought, well, I've done two games and I'm very, very proud to say I've, I've competed in two Invictus games. Yeah. Now I want to be in a position where I want to help a little bit. So after Toronto, I was the powerlifting team captain in Toronto for Team UK. Um, I did the shot put in discus as well. And after that, I found a love for powerlifting. So I did um, British powerlifting level one coaching course. So I wanted to give back. So I went back through to help a hero sports recovery. And with Ben Richards, the head powerlifting team coach for uh, Team UK, I went back and I assisted the guys and girls um, who were getting ready to go to Australia um, for the next games, but not just as a powerlifting coach, mm -hmm. as a, an Invictus Games ambassador. I was selected to be an Invictus Games ambassador as well. I think when you do take part or you're, you sign up, not sign up, but for when you take part in the trials and the games, you do become an Invictus Games ambassador anyway, because um, we can talk about the sport and how much the benefit comes from taking part and pushing yourself. How do you cope with being, with, how, with you know, you're still obviously struggling with PTSD as you have, how did you deal with like the added pressure of the Invictus Games in itself? Because that's an incredibly, you said it there, me, there's media, there's a lot of people there. How did you cope with that? Absolutely, it's, there is thousands of people there and thousands of people are gathered on the streets and they want to see you. Um, and that, again, was very humbling. You know, people have paid money to come and see me. Yeah, it was very hard because, you know, sometimes PTSD or it depends on what different triggers affect different people. Um, when we were going to and from the events, the police escorted the buses and stuff all over um, Toronto. Mm. And for me, the noises, the sirens and lights, I'm not very, very good at it. So for that, I was, I had headphones on, I was sitting on my kind of one and just wanted to get to the events um, themselves. So once I got there, it's very, very tiring. Having PTSD on a daily basis, even just getting up in the morning, mm. there's so much stuff going on in your head. That's why we try and put things in place to get, you know, to go to the gym and get things in place and have a schedule so that you can keep busy in a way to stop some of these wee gremlins in the background coming forward. Mm. But yeah, it's, it's busy out there. And the media too, we got... Uh, offered the chance to go and speak but if you didn't want to that was fine they never ran it down your, th your face and plus you had a member of the media comms team who was with you at any time so if i've done interviews with itv itm uh, and bbc sky but there's always been a comms person there make sure what the questions are beforehand 
nothing gets mentioned that hasn't been discussed. Um, so it was very, very, very well laid out. But if you didn't want to do an interview, you didn't have to. So it was good. Incredibly impressive, though, to suffer, be suffering from PTSD and putting yourself in that environment, putting yourself in a high pressured environment, like you said, pushing yourself with the sirens. And I'm assuming you had noise cancelling headphones and the smell, the yeah. smell stick and absolutely, um, which, which is very, very good. Is it? I mean, when did you realise that those worked? Because uh, we've spoken in the past, you've told me about oh, grounding, where you take off your shoes and you put your feet on the ground and you use the smelling stick. When did, was that Professor Miller? Um, no, that was previous. Um, that was uh, with other sort of therapists I've seen. And I found that it works because, again, if I'm out and about and I've got noise cancelling stuff on, I can try and it doesn't take away because the decibels of... Uh, a fire engine or an ambulance is up to about 120 decibels, um, which is very, very, very high. Mm. And noise cancelling headphones don't automatically take it away, but with noise cancelling plus with some music on, it can block it out. Um, but if you hear it in a distance, I can put them on and activate. I can still go out uh, with Joanne and just um, have them in my ears, and if need be, I can just put them on and just turn my back and just take a little minute to just reflect and just work on my breathing um, and yeah that's how I kind of stumbled across as well I think we're going to mention it as a bit cold water therapy well yeah well we've spoken about let's just actually no before we go into cold water therapy let's just finish off your your exercise journey because that's really impressive in itself because you still the gym the gym plays a massive role in your life, doesn't it? The um, and you've been very lucky throughout lockdown to have still been able to use it. Thanks, um, thanks to you know friendships and um, do you just mind telling listeners, you know, just the role that the gym and fitness plays in your life? Yes, it's 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 been a massive help. Uh, one having your clothes sitting out the night before. Um, to make sure that when you do get up, you know that you've got something to go in. It's, and I, I mark it down on my achievement board of something that you've achieved through the day. Um, and and I, I train five, maybe six times a week. Um, I try and get to the gym. And I, luckily, with friend Stephen, uh, who we said he's a pharmacist as well, during the last couple of lockdowns, we've turned his garage into a gym. We managed to buy quite a bit of um, equipment and we go in there in the mornings and again it's good having a training body because sometimes if you feel oh I've got a niggle or I'm sore or some mornings we just feel absolutely rubbish mm. and then realize that someone else is getting up to meet you in the gym so that gives you a kick up the backside so you get to the gym and then once we have a bit of banter and a mug of coffee and then stuff's written up on the board and when we've got a rule once it's written up on the board it has to be done um and that's it and we just train train for about an hour and a half hard every morning and then i get back home um see joanne have a bit of downtime and then go to the achievement board and see what's next either housework as a, a full-time house husband uh, joanne still works um and i enjoy 
I enjoy that because it gives me time, more time to spend with Juman, plus the dogs, and having some work in the garden. But yeah, gym and keeping physically fit. I think physically fit as well because it just plays a massive part in, you know, it makes you feel happier, it helps you with weight loss, it's good for your muscles and your bones. Mm. For me, it can increase your energy levels, can risk, um, reduce your risk of chronic disease, mm. helps your skin, and it can also help your brain health and memory. That's one of my biggest ones. So, yeah. yeah. Well, you talked about it just two minutes ago. <laughs> cold, water, cold water therapy. How did you get into that? Tell our listeners what cold water therapy is and how you got into it. Well, there's a guy called Wim Hof, and a lot of people who look up Wim Hof, He's a mad um, guy from the Netherlands, and Wim, W-I-M-H-O-F, <clears throat> Wim Hof. And he's got the Wim Hof techniques or method um, where people get together and they work on their breathing. I mean, people, how they can control their breathing and breathe excessively in and out and get rid of the carbon in the body and boost your alkaline levels where cold water doesn't really provide you with a shock. Um, and I thought, well, I like to look at now alternative medicines with the medication I am on. I like to look at other things that's going to aid in my recovery. So I thought, well, why not give it a go? So yeah. I looked it up, looked at a few of these um, videos on YouTube, and I thought, oh, I'm going to give this a crack here. So it starts off with just doing your breathing exercises and holding your breath and then getting bits and bobs done. And then he says, after your shower, once you finish showering normally, you just turn your shower down to the coldest setting and stand in it just to finish your shower. Now, if you can do that, start off um, 10 seconds, 20 seconds. But previous to that, when I was having aches and pains, I used to fill up the bath with cold water and throw in bags of ice. And then I was able just to just plunk my backside in there and just be submerged for 10 minutes. I even got a wheelie bin in the back lane that the neighbours think I'm nuts. I fill that up with water and throw in about four or five bags of ice and I jump in it for about half an hour at a time. Um, and your face, Alex, is a picture. If I could take a picture, maybe the listeners could see it. He's, he's grimacing, ladies and gentlemen. Mm. But the benefits to me is energy levels, deepen sleep, improve circulation, boost the immune system. Again, with powerlifting, you're putting a lot of stress in your body, so it reduces your inflammation, it improves your metabolic function, and the last one for me is improves your mood. What it does with that, endorphins, like the gym, you get a massive buzz when you come out of the water, like there's a lock nearby. And again, Alex, after the archery, when you come over here, we can um, we can go over in our speedos and get into that. <laughs> <laughs> and ladies and gentlemen we will be a video showing this in the future but, of course um, again as going on to the cold water i think it's fantastic even joanne has at the end of her showers cold water um and she's seen a massive increase especially in mood uh, hair immune system and yeah i started off going into the lock just up to my chin just walking in and 10 minutes now i can go in for 45 minutes and just standing there but once you work on your breath it's all for me is to think about other things going on instead of what's mm. the, the the noise and the drums and the little 
hamster wheel burling at the back and having the ability to switch back to your breathing, which is something very simple. But coming back to your breathing to make you focus and then stay and be at one, I suppose, very happy but with nature. I hmm. I love it. And the swans swimming around you and there's other people coming in the water and we just have a bit of a chat. And then when you come out of the water, all the blood then, the reoxygenated blood that's went from all of your limbs to protect your vital organs, basically. That's what it does when you go into cold. All your blood sort of kind of goes up run by your heart and your lungs and your, your brain. So when you come out the water again, you've got new, fresh, reoxygenated blood goes into your sore muscles. So that's how it, it helps reduce inflammation. Um, oh. And you get such a great feeling for when you come back out. I will go and try that out, Scotty, because that sounds incredibly interesting. And I'm going to go and try that and see if that works, because I've always been told there are a lot of health benefits from doing that. So it'd be good to actually go and put that into practice. So obviously, moving moving on then, obviously PTSD is something you suffer with daily. It's not like anything else you know it's not you, you, there's no off and on switch you can't just turn it off how hard is it on some days especially like how do you cope with days such as bonfire night or fireworks night as it's also called how do you cope on those sorts of days um luckily enough over in northern ireland you don't celebrate guy fox as such remember the member of the 5th of november so it doesn't come but when it comes to well, the marching season over here, or trade season, it's, um, they do have a bit of fireworks kicking about. Um, for me, it's not too bad, because um, I know that it will be coming. So, again, when there's clothes, bits and bobs, it doesn't, I know others may uh, affect slightly different smells of fires as such. So you have those coping mechanisms in place um, for, you know, the day-to-day -day stuff. How do you deal with other things such as, you know, um, as traveling? I mean, obviously traveling is stressful in itself for a lot of people. How, what is it like traveling with PTSD? How do you go about that? And what kind of coping mechanisms do you have in place for that? Yeah, it's, um, it can be very difficult. Again, too, with the stresses and strain of what traveling does as well, plus the other stuff going on in the background. But there's a lovely article which is available on the Give Us Time uh, website, Alex. Um, I, I did a piece about, you know, there's certain things now. You've got the lanyard scheme, which uh, is very good. Um, you can apply for a lanyard, which just means that the security and other people around the airport staff and the um, cabin crew, they give you a little bit extra time. You can get on the plane first. You can get through the security quicker. So there's less stress and stuff. Mm. Um, you can use that noise cancelling headphones, give yourself plenty of time, make sure you've got enough water, try and wear something black at the airport too. So again, if you do spill something or it doesn't stand out as much and you won't be getting embarrassed or anything, mm. uh, just try and just prep the best you can um, and think about the what ifs, do I need that, do I need this? And mm. just have everything ready to go. And if you've got someone like when my Joanne comes with me, it's Everything's kind of catered for in that way as well. But yeah, it's good just to be well prepared, plenty of time, make sure you've got all the right documentation and then apply for one of those lanyards mm. which you'll be able to get or pick one up at the airports. And then 
it just makes your life a little bit stress-free. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's actually come on to a second question. But how, obviously, we've spoken about the day-to-day stuff, the different levels of stress. What's the last 14 months been like with COVID? Yeah, it's been very, very difficult of, again, trying to get access to the mental health support. Um, Because everything's kind of shut down. Luckily enough, I've still had access to see Professor Miller, either by Zoom or face-to-face at his office. Again, following social distance guidelines. And then once they did say that mental health or illness appointments is classed as a necessity, then we managed, we were allowed to travel to and from um, with a letter and having the ability to see him and then talk over things that have now been, he calls them red flags, things that have been kind of brewing, stuff that hasn't seemed to have gone away. And then once we talk about it and put things in place, he, he makes a lot of more sense than anything else. But yeah, seeing people over Zoom, I think the Zooms become or Skypes became massive because everybody's been using it now. But yeah, I, I, I did miss the social content a little bit, um, just to say hello to, you know, some neighbours or some friends. And um, luckily enough, again, as he said, I'm lucky enough to be able to still train. So I know that Stephen had, he's a pharmacist too, so he's regularly tested and we've had the tests done and we, we were okay. And it's just, yeah, I found that very, very, very hard. Um, thank goodness things are starting to get back to a little bit of normality. I don't know what it's going to look like in the future, but I just hope, pray that with the vaccinations, everybody can have a, a better sort of immune system as such to this new variant. We should be able to come out of it a lot better. Oh, brilliant. Fantastic. Absolutely brilliant. Well, we reached my final question now. So we've been speaking about PTSD a lot. have been using the, the, the word PTSD a lot. Now, I know that Do you want to go and speak now why you don't like the D in PTSD? Yeah, I'd like to say, folks, this is this is my personal thoughts. Um, Other people might differ, but the word D is disorder. Um, And and I feel I think we should maybe try and get rid of the word D. As I think post-traumatic stress is an injury. It's not a disorder. And I think If we take the word disorder away um, of being referred to as a clinical term, I think we can change the conversation. And I think having post-traumatic stress opens the doors for more people to feel comfortable talking about their own experiences and seeking relief to get help a lot quicker and faster. Brilliant. I know I went into a PTSD resolution course they do courses where you can learn about ptsd um would highly recommend going on one of those courses um for someone who 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 doesn't know about uh, post-traumatic stress um it's incredibly um they it's very interesting it's a very interesting course and it kind of gives you an insight into ptsd i think there's i think it's definitely something which everyone knows i didn't realize that um, well, basically, they, they they discuss the brain function of it. Yeah. How the they call it, I think it's the amygdala. And the amygdala the... is your like fight or flight response. 
Yes. So we are, we are trained in a way that in the military, there's four types of um, factors. You have your fight, your flight, your... Uh, they're the two main ones in the military, your fight or flight. We're trained in a way to follow orders and train so hard in the military that when we get attacked or we're in a conflict situation, we'll always go forward. We will always take it to them. Mm. And I think that becomes instinctive to us. Yeah. Um, and that's in your, you were chatting there a little bit about the amygdala and the amygdala is your fight or flight response. If you look at a veteran who's had a, a scan, um, their amygdala is enlarged in a way mm. that someone like yourself might be not as large because their fight or flight response, everything's overwhelmed in that brain. It's just poof, full on, yeah. full on all the time. Or when you get triggered, it's just boom, it's there. Yeah. As as a, a, a soldier, um, I do feel that the training, in a way, it trains you towards that. We don't become the best fighting force in the world without being, you know, training has to be constant and familiar. That's mm. why when things happen, they become second nature. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, this has been incredibly interesting, I think. And thank you so much for sharing your side of it and actually, you know, offering up some of, you know, your your tips on, um, I mean, is there any any other tips you would like to say if anyone, if to any anyone out there who is listening who has PTSD? Guys, um, you're not on your own. Um, always remember that someone is here. And I, I mentioned that the first time I spoke at the Give Us Time event, it says none of us ever want a handout. We just want a hand up. And I'll say that my hand is always able to, uh, is there if someone wants to reach it. And if you are suffering and struggling, you hear this podcast and you want to get in touch, please contact inquiries at Give Us Time and just mention my name and the guys will give me a shout and I will be in touch with you. But if I can um, empower guys and girls to come forward, you're not weak, you're not a failure, you just want to become a little bit better. And if it means that I'll stand beside you, I will. And that's what we all need to do. We just need to just take a bit of time and not be too sore on ourselves and just accept that it's life and life has to continue. Oh, absolutely brilliant. And to anyone else listening, um, if this podcast has upset you or has triggered you, you can obviously call 999 if you need urgent assistance. You can also call Samaritans on 116-123 or contact your local GP um, and they can go and offer you help. And there are obviously, um, obviously we will signpost you because we work we could do collaborations with PTSD resolution. They have a contact service. They can set you up and they can help you as well. So there are different avenues you can take. Um, and I just want to say once again, thank you so much, Scotty, for today. You know, very interesting. I think you definitely opened my eyes a bit more on the whole situation. So thank you so much, Scotty. My absolute pleasure, Alex. Thanks again. And yeah, and. Thank you everyone for listening to the Give Us Time podcast. Thank you all so much. Please like, subscribe, share. Uh, make sure to follow Give Us Time on Instagram as well. Um, and thank you very much for listening, everyone. So thank you very much for listening and have a great day. Bye-bye.